Welcome to this episode of Smart Citizen. We're really excited to have a school board candidate, Jessica Owens, with us today. I'm Emily Bose, and this is Smart Citizen. Jessica, thanks so much for being on. Uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. And I know you're currently an incumbent on the city council. So why are you running for re-election? Yeah. So I'm currently an incumbent on school board. Oh, sorry. Yes, on school board. <laughs> There's a Jessica on city council, and sometimes that gets confusing for people. Yes. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, yep, you yep. are on, on uh, school, school board. board. Yep. So I, um, I'm an incumbent. Um, however, I haven't had a full four-year term yet. I was... Uh, appointed to this seat in 2019 uh, when it was vacated by the previous uh, person who was in the seat. And then I uh, ran to finish his term uh, in a special election last November. So I've been on the board for a little over a year now. Um, and so this is my first run for a, a full term on the Rose Hall district seat. And so that's exciting. Um, a little bit just kind of about myself. I uh, am almost a lifelong Virginia Beach resident. I grew up in Virginia Beach. I uh, did K through 12 in the Beach School District. I graduated from Ocean Lakes High. Um, I have an adult son who is 22, um, and he also went through the public school system here in Virginia Beach, also ended up graduating from uh, Ocean Lakes High. <laughs> um, and uh, really just had some uh, interesting, different experiences uh, through my time in the school system and then parenting through the school system. Mm. My son uh, is uh, utilized special education services pretty much all the way through um, through his school experience. And uh, I think it gave me a different perspective on uh, some of the things that we have that go really well with our special education program and some of the things that we have where we just need to, to work harder or do better. Um, and so I think that brings a different perspective that I didn't really see represented on the board uh, when I started looking at participating more. So um, I currently have a first grader uh, in the home now, and uh, it also gives a different perspective of the decisions that uh, are made on the school board when I um, am living them live, live at home um, as they're, they're happening. And so um, I think it's helpful to have that perspective of board members who have younger kids, kids who are still mm. in the system, um, people who are younger, people who have had different um, life experiences. And so that's what I hope to bring to the board. I hope to bring um, just a different perspective that wasn't previously represented on the board. Great. So uh, you've been there for a little while. You haven't had the benefit of being able to have a full four-year term, but you've been there for a while. So uh one thing that I'm trying hard to do with Smart Citizen is to help people understand what are these local government offices uh, and you know boards, things like school board, like city council, and what role do they play? And and frankly, why why should people be involved? You know, mm -hmm. why should they care who are who's in these offices or what goes on or why should they be engaged in those things? So from the inside, can you tell us one thing that really surprised you as you were diving into your first year on the school board? Um, what, what surprised you that the school board has jurisdiction over that you think most people might not know or you know, some, some things that you found surprising that might help our listeners understand the school board better? Um, I don't know that there was anything that was super surprising, but um, the school board... Uh, basically has oversight over um, the superintendent, uh, the school auditor, and uh, the budget. Those are our, our big mm. primary uh, things that we, we are over. Um, technically, all those three pieces kind of are over the school district as a whole. Uh, but on a, I guess on a more day-to-day -day basis, uh, we do have a, a say and the, I guess, oversight in the policies uh, and bylaws of the, the school board in general. Um, so kind of how the, how the meetings are run, mm. uh, the oversight of uh, grievances of school employees, 
there is a, a grievance process, and so we're not the first step in that process. But when teachers uh, have employment issues, uh, they have a process where they can grieve it through employee relations and then up to the school board. And so we see kind of at the end level um, issues that have come up with teachers and staff. Hmm. Uh, we help with uh, deciding funding for uh, funding for the district. So where where we're assigning teachers, where uh, different resources and programs are going to be placed throughout our, our district in the city. Um, and the oversight of discipline at the kind of upper level as well. Um, students who have discipline processes where they are uh, expelled or suspended long-term um, also have an appeals process uh, where they appeal to a low, lower level first, but then they have a mm -hmm. hearing in front of the school board. And so we're able to kind of see trends and issues um, that may arise there. Um, so kind of overall, uh, we touch, we, we do have kind of a, a finger in, and everything, but we are more of a, a governance board to uh, supervise the superintendent and his ability to manage the, the district. Mm. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. You mentioned discipline, and that's a topic that's come up quite often in this uh, election cycle. I've mm -hmm. spoken to a lot of candidates for school board, and a lot of people have different perspectives on it. And I thought it was interesting. I noticed that you have uh, training and, and education and counseling, uh, which I haven't noticed from anyone else coming on the board. So how does your counseling background influence your, uh, you know, uh, perspective on some of these discipline issues? And what do you see as some potential solutions that you would want to implement if you were elected this time? Sure, thank you. Um, I have a background in child welfare. And so uh, I do think that it's a different perspective that is not currently represented on the board. Uh, my background education is counseling uh, and uh, trauma-informed practice. So mm. uh, children who have been abused and neglected primarily through the CPS system and foster care um, and how that affects them behaviorally, emotionally, and uh, their memory and learning. And so I, I do think that that's a, a needed perspective on the board. Um, but the discipline issues, I think that it also helps to have the perspective of that and the perspective of uh, a parent who's had a child who had special needs mm. and of a minority child in our in our schools. Um, one of the things that's not really a debatable fact, but um, when we look at our statistics, um, our discipline right now is disproportionate uh, to our minority students, particularly mm. our black male students. And that's been an issue um, for many, many years. I, I think that uh, having people involved on the board and at different levels throughout administration um, who have a different perspective on that, who have some life experience mm. in that helps uh, bring a fresh set of eyes to a problem that we haven't really been able to, to make much movement on um, in quite a long time. Mm. So I, I think that that's uh, an additional perspective to have. I don't think that overall our district has behavioral issues that are um, in excess of what we're seeing across our region and across our country. Um, right. I think in general, Virginia Beach is a great district and we have great kids and great families and great programs. Um, one of the things that we, we do need to be um, kind of expanding upon is making sure that our teachers have different tools in their, in their toolboxes to address behavior because hmm. one size fit all process isn't going to really work with our students. And um, we see that, that it's not working in the disproportionate numbers. Um, right. I know that the district recently, prior to me coming on, adopted um, PBIS, which is an acronym that if you look up discipline with the schools, you'll see thrown around a lot. Um, but basically it's a positive behavior intervention um, type of system. And I think that that has um, a lot of benefits, but it's not designed to be discipline unto itself. And so I think mm. um, making sure that everybody who's involved from teachers to parents, um, to those who are concerned in the public, have an understanding of what the system is able to do and what it doesn't do, and making sure that we have the proper supports in place um, to address the other disciplinary uh, 
parts of that is important. I don't think um, when we go into it with a looking for the silver bullet answer to behaviors or to, to any of it, um, right. we're not going to get there. We have to have a multifunctional um, approach to, to be able to, to really make a difference. And a toolkit idea seems like it would potentially make sense with what you just said, because there are so many factors, mm -hmm. especially if you get into kids that have any kind of trauma. Mm -hmm. I uh, actually have a uh, niece and nephew that were adopted out of foster care that are amazing. I absolutely adore them, but they have had a significant amount of trauma and it's mm -hmm. had a major effect on their lives. And they're in a really stable place now and they've been able to really thrive, but you know, they school and some of those things, behavioral things around school has been a real, real struggle. So, uh, and, and they're making a lot of progress now, which is great. Um, but what do you see? Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen a lot in terms of foster care and I, you know, because I have personal family mm -hmm. coming from that perspective, it tends to catch my eye. What, what do you see in terms of, you know, how we're doing with the foster care system in relation to our schools uh, and, and how those kids are just generally doing? Cause I, I've heard, and this may be a slight aside, but um, I've heard that we have quite a, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, shortage of fam foster families in Virginia Beach and that there's a lot of challenges, you know, in, in getting enough stable families. And I, I think I've heard that we have quite a few like teenagers that might be on their own or things like that. So how does that, I, I can only imagine that that would have a major impact if you have those kids that are basically completely parenting themselves. I can't even imagine what that's like in a virtual setting. Um, you know, how, how do you see those things in influencing what's going on, you know, or, or the challenges with discipline issues. Sorry, I know it was a long-winded question, but. Anytime I can throw in any kind of a plug for foster families, that's always a plus. Um, Absolutely. Virginia Beach does have higher numbers of children in foster care than a lot of our sister cities hmm. um, for a number of different reasons. Uh, population size uh, obviously plays in and um, the military dynamic in our uh, uh area and region um, also plays a factor. People don't have the support systems here that they might have if you lived in Suffolk or um, you know, a little further out. Uh, people come to the area uh, because they've been stationed here or for other different mm -hmm. reasons. And then some of them stay when they're not in the military um, and some of them just stay while they're here. But having a support system to give mom breaks is and dad breaks and, and mm -hmm. grandma breaks are incredibly important to be able to um, provide a calm and stable situation for the children um, to be able to thrive. And so the lack of support systems that uh, are kind of common with our city and our area, I think plays a, a part in the, the discipline situation as a whole. And when we look at the, the children who are involved in our uh, foster care system, and I will say foster care and child welfare system, because the majority of children that um, Child Protective Services become involved with don't actually come into foster care. Some mm -hmm. of them um, remain in the uh, home with the parents and we're working with them to keep them safe or safer in the home with their parents. And some of them are placed with a relative, a family friend, a pastor, a coach, mm -hmm. so that they're avoiding foster care situations. But it's still a very different dynamic than being and your stable two parents coming home at 5 p.m. eating dinner at the table um, type of environment. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's important for us to have that perspective of what that looks like across the, the very different types of families that we have um, in our city. Um, and because you gave me the segue for the foster parent plug. Please uh, do it. Always looking for new foster parents from all kinds of different backgrounds. It does not have to be a two-parent, uh, this or that certain age range. Um, we are looking for parents um, who have love to share, who have a, a space to share and have time to share. Mm. Um, the goal is for all of uh, foster children to be in a family placement and uh, to not be in a congregate care um, type of setting, to not mm. be in an independent living setting if they're not, you know, not ready, we ideally don't want to have 16 and 17 year olds in those independent living settings. Um, 
because foster care has expanded their time frame so we can provide services up through 21, it's easier to wait until that they are older to, to provide that because teenagers are not many people. Um, they need the same supports, maybe not the same right. intensities, but they need those supports, particularly um, children who've had trauma in their lives or who've had experiences who got them to the foster care system um, need that family support. Even if, you know, nuclear perfect family situation at 16, are not really ready to be on their own independently living. If they were, mm -hmm. have 16 be the age of adults and we right. do it. Um, and so it's important to remember all of those different types of families that we have that are struggling. And, um, you know, some of them are doing well, some of them, it's helpful to have this virtual setting because they kind of lose some of the pressures of um, being in a classroom with peers that they didn't know because they mm. a couple of different times or not having their hair and nails or clothes the way they want to compete with. Right. Um, so for some of them, the anxiety of being in the large spaces has been reduced. And so mm -hmm. um, I think it's important to consider that while this virtual situation is difficult and I, it's difficult, we're doing it at my house and it's difficult. <laughs> some students, it is um, working better for them. Right. Um, for others, it's, it's difficult. And for those um, who are homeless in our district, which we do have a, a good number of homeless students in our district, people might not be aware that in Virginia Beach, particularly um, in the winter months, uh, as our hotel prices drop and plummet, um, we attract homeless from other cities because they're able to live cheaper in the mm. empty motels um, at the beach. And so we end up getting um, students that wouldn't necessarily be with us um, during those winter months. And um, doing virtual in a motel setting is it's different than doing it at home at the kitchen table or at the desk that your mom has provided for mm. you. And it's not always as easy as, oh, well, here's a, a you know, disadvantaged child. Let's get them a desk. Sometimes it's so much bigger than that and there's no place to put the desk. And we need right. to just keep all the different um, scenarios in mind when we're working with our population. I want to ask you one quick note while we're on the Virginia Beach needs, you know, more people involved in foster care. Because one thing that I would love to do as far as continuing the conversation with Smart Citizen on the other side of the election is looking at ways for people to be involved in and invest in our city. And I think foster care is a really great way to do that. But, you know, honestly, not everyone is in a place where they can, you know, like I, I don't live in a place where I could do that right now, mm -hmm. you know, just on a personal level. My life is not in a place where I could do that, though. It genuinely is something I'd like to do in the future. And I, I know quite a few families here that our foster families in Virginia Beach. And so, you know, besides, I think, supporting those families, which is a really great way to, to be involved. Do you know, quickly, we don't have to spend a long time on it, but is there any other, you know, fast one to two ways that, you know, people who would just really like to be involved, especially now during COVID, where maybe they have more flexibility or they see the need um, you know, is, are there like a good organizations or just a good place they could go to even be sort of big brother, big sister sort of idea or something like that with some of those kids that might be on their own? Absolutely. So, um, connect with a wish is the organization, uh, based out of Virginia beach, um, run by, her name is Joy Rios. And I would be happy to send you a contact link or anybody who wants to just, uh, type in connect with the wish. There's a Facebook page and a regular, um, website. They are uh, pretty much the biggest partner uh, with our Virginia Beach kids, and they've actually uh, branched out and they uh, help with other foster care uh, in the different uh, seven cities now. Okay. Uh, they do things like uh, prom dress events where people can donate formal wear that they've, you know, you use it one or, once or mm. twice and you're able to donate it, and they open the dress uh, shop for our foster children who may have and they would they are provided money for prom um but they may not have the money to do the dress the hair the nails all the stuff so mm. they have a whole um program for them they help our foster children as they're aging out or going into independent living um by helping collect and distribute um kitchen uh utensils and mm. things that you need for a home that typically mm -hmm. when you're 18 your parents throw you a housewarming or get, clean right. out the kitchen and give you all their old pots and pans and all of those things that um, there's not anybody to do that 
per se with um, a lot of our foster children. And so the Connect with a Wish program really provides all kinds of different supports from making sure there are duffel bags uh, with books and hygiene items in the social services for the days that we have to take children into custody so that they can have their belongings in a suitcase or a duffel bag mm. rather than pulling a garbage bag out of their home to pack up stuff quickly to leave. Right. Um, and so they're, they're a wonderful organization. I'm happy to be able to give a plug for them. Um, awesome. Youth Shelters is also a good place to touch base, to um, look at um, ways to mentor and to assist. Even in COVID times, um, now is actually a good time for people who have time to volunteer, but maybe not to get out of the house as much. We need people who are willing to do tutoring and reading with kids one-on-one -on -one virtually. There, there are opportunities there. Um, both through our school systems. So if you have a grandma who has time or an auntie, they can contact the local school and, and let them know that they have time. And being able to pull kids out of the 18, 19, 20 kids in a virtual session to give them some one-on-one -on -one mm. reading time or one-on-one -on -one person that they can talk to at lunch because they're in the room alone all day and then they close it down for lunch and they would like to just have some unstructured time to speak with somebody. Mm -hmm. so opportunities are there and um, reach out to those organizations or your school. And I'm sure that we would find a, a place that you can help. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I'd love it if you, if you have time to send me some of those links and, and we'll look Absolutely. some of them up as well and, and share those in the show notes for this episode. So anyone watching can, find those things. Let's keep uh, going here because I know we're moving through our time really quickly. This is great. One thing that's been interesting to note, or I've had some interesting conversations, I should say, with other school board candidates in relation to, you know, just uh, some of the disparities that, that families are facing dealing with COVID and, you know, virtual school and rollback plan, phaseback plans and all those things, you know, and the challenges of maybe having a family where, two parents work and your kid is, you know, maybe the age of your first grader who obviously mm -hmm. cannot be left home alone. Mm -hmm. And I've been reading articles from all over the country where they're going on and finding, you know, very young children home alone because the parents just don't feel like they have any other options. So um, what do you, what do you feel like is going well as far as the COVID phase back plans and what would you like to see you know, changed or continued if you were to be reelected? How, how can we, you know, continue to care for these families going forward? Okay. Huh. Um, I think there's some very small questions here, you know, <laughs> um, because the, the COVID situation is tough and there's really just no easy answers what it comes down to. <clears throat> Excuse me. I do think that we have a number of things that are um, going well or as well as can be hoped for. Um, with our district right now. I, I think that we were in a good place um, to get started on the virtual learning when this started, uh, the COVID came upon us, if you will. Um, we already had uh, Chromebooks distributed. We had kids mm -hmm. who knew how to log on and to, to interface in most of the, the platforms, maybe not to the level that we are getting them to now, um, but we were in a good starting place. And I think that, that was something that we could be proud of from um, things mm -hmm. that we had been doing. Uh, I think that even in the last two weeks, we've seen uh, teachers and students continue to adjust to um, the virtual interactions, learn kind of different things that have been working for them, um, and and they're coming they're coming along. It, it's difficult. Um, some things that I would like to see uh, adjusted or continue to be looked at. Actually, let me back up. The other thing that I would say that may be working well. Um, there are some students who, no matter how we try and configure it, are going to have a difficult time uh, trying to do virtual. And it, 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 there are students mm -hmm. who it's not going to work for. And I think that our district has done a good job in trying to identify the students who need to be in the building the most and try to make a way, mm -hmm. um, start getting them in as soon as possible. Um, when you look at other districts, Virginia Beach, uh, out of the seven cities, um, had students uh, in quicker than most and had more in than most. Um, there are ups and downs with that, and that's something that we, you know, struggled with in making sure we're doing it safely. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's a tough balance, and we we were trying to look for um, getting in children who needed it the most. That said, there's still 
some children who aren't doing well with the virtual learning. And um, I think that we need to continue to expand on our partnerships to have different ways to um, support them until mm. we can get everybody um, in the in the building who can safely be there, who needs to be there. Uh, I think we can do more with uh, partnering, uh, whether it be with local churches, different organizations, or just within neighborhoods, having a family, a mother, a, a father say, huh, I can I can team up with somebody in my neighborhood who has students within my same age range, maybe having three families or four families saying, you know what, I can host the kids at my house on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and have another mom say, and I can host on Thursdays and Fridays and make sure that they know each other and can feel comfortable with each other and uh, can check each other's backgrounds if needed. Mm-hmm. Um, have those relationships um, and looking at ways to to help people who have to go to work to be able to say, okay, if I know that my child is in this mini cohort with these other three students who are in their same age range, maybe in their same school, and they're going to be there on these days and over here on these days, I can try and get more work time and I can try and do the other things that I'm not able to do right now. Um, and I think the schools can kind of do more with facilitating that, whether that's um, little community cohorts with Mm. moms partnering or whether that's uh, churches who are able to say, yeah, we can sponsor two or three rooms and have a parent come and monitor the rooms and provide those safe learning um, places that the schools initially tried to do within our schools when we didn't have the students in there. Um, When we opened up for the students, those uh, the schools couldn't be used for those uh, students who are still virtual but needed a safe place to mm. see where they were monitored. And so I think that we can do more reaching out and, and finding those partnerships in the community, finding um, the tutoring resources, making right. sure that we're reaching out to uh, whether it's community leaders, church leaders, whoever, and saying, here, we're going to do a tutoring session with this leader to show you how our different platforms work, because they're confusing. I, I'm on the I'm, sure. I'm confused. With a first grader. So wow. if we could have somebody where we're reaching kind of people who have more reach and doing some concentrated efforts to say, yes, we've done it for all the pastors in the area and now, or the Sunday school teachers or the YMCA folks, mm. and they're able to in turn reach out and do it for parents that we're going to get a, a farther reach um, mm-hmm. than we would trying to to do it all ourselves. And I right. think what it comes down to is that there's a lot being asked from school districts and we can't do it all ourselves. We really need to find a a way to divvy out and um, expand the reach and people hear it different from people that they know and trust. Right. Uh, Teacher or somebody that you're already frustrated with the process, you may not hear it the same as you're hearing it from uh, the coach on the basketball Y league that you have a relationship with and your child has this relationship with already. So, right. That um, makes a lot of sense. It's interesting because you've mentioned some kids are actually really thriving in this Mm -hmm. setting. And I've heard, you know, especially kids that tend to be more introverted or maybe Mm -hmm. have attention struggles, things they can move around a little bit, you Mm -hmm. know, it's actually a better setting for them in some ways do you think that going forward, uh, there will be more opportunities for for kind of flexible learning? You know, people have mentioned maybe kids that are struggling with being bullied or, you know, I could even see if you are in a military family and you're here for three years of high school and you get deployed and you want to finish your senior year kind of virtually with your friend, you know, those kind of situations, it seems like this has opened up a lot of possibilities for the future, for things that we never would have thought of doing before. Do you perceive any of that coming or do you think things will just kind of shift back to normal? (laughs) I'm hoping that we will end up trying to keep the best of what we learn um, during this experience. Uh, I think that there will be more expanded opportunities for online and distance type learning. Um, I think that I'm hoping to see more buildup of uh, having our counselors and support people available uh, through Zoom conversations and, and different ways. Uh, we, the way we communicate has changed uh, from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and 40 years ago. And for many people, it is more comfortable to 
talk to your counselor uh, via texting and messaging rather than sitting in the room and feeling them looking at you. Um, for situations where we are expanding on our courses and our teaching staff, and it's something that Virginia Beach has had already in place uh, in limited doses where maybe we only had one Japanese teacher, a Japanese language teacher to be able to teach a course and um, we didn't have it at a different school that we could offer, set the room up so that they can do it virtually in that room with the teacher and have somebody monitoring the room who could be a teacher assistant and making sure that we're expanding those opportunities um, to different schools and, and just using our resources a little differently. So I'm hoping that we will see some more of that and, and more of it for students who it's working well for. Uh, there are students who may benefit more from the in-person learning when it is back to normal. But mm -hmm. I think it's important to stress that getting kids back in the building right now does not equal back to normal. Getting them back into the building now is getting them back distanced where they're having assigned seats for lunch, where they're having really some limited interactions um, compared to what the school setting normally would have. Uh, you know, we're limiting singing because it's an activity that uh, produces more virus into the air if if you are infected. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's different. School is looking different um, and we're adjusting because that's what we need to do. Um, but for some students, that different in person is not necessarily going to be better than the virtual. The, the old in person would be better. Um, mm -hmm. For the first grader, I don't know. We're, we're we are uh, virtual right now, and we're kind of looking at what it, the choice would look like when it's time to go back. Um, wearing a mask all day is tough for anybody. It is tough. We go through the school board meetings, and we're six hours with the mask on, and that's a lot. It's a lot for the adults, and so it, we know that that's going to be a lot. And some children are going to handle that better than others. And so those are things that I, as a parent, weigh when I consider getting her back out um, into the building. What is it gonna be like for her to have the mask on all day? What is it gonna be like to not have as many opportunities to get up and wiggle and walk around the room and maybe she would go sharpen her pencil when maybe it didn't need to be sharpened because she needed that movement. And we're limiting those things because, mm. because we need to. And so you know, knowing your student and what's gonna work best and what you can provide. Right now I'm lucky enough that I'm able to adjust my work schedule um, and so I'm working evenings at home and mm. doing virtual at home during the day, which makes for a long day, but it's still, still a privilege to be able to, to do that. Um, not everybody is able to, so it really, it's individualized and I think people need to be able to gauge what's gonna work best for their child. Right, I've heard different responses from different people whose kids have gone back or not. Some people are like just so happy, you know, mm -hmm. to be there. For other people, I could, I hadn't really thought about it like this till you were explaining it just now, but I could see it almost being more challenging or creating a lot more confusion for young mm -hmm. kids that just mm -hmm. genuinely don't understand. And it yeah. it's gonna be so restrictive to their personalities mm -hmm. and normal ways of doing things to be in a building. You might have to deal with <laughs> more issues just from that, you know, just on like a psychological level yeah. from the impact of that, that they just truly don't understand. So it's interesting to think about. I, so one thing that I've talked to a few different candidates about that I just find it interesting to hear people's perspectives on, especially when you're looking at all of these different varieties of school options, you know, some flex models. I know people that are doing pods, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like what you mentioned. Um, people that are virtually schooling their kids through the school system or trying to figure out like what thing works best for their family. So one thing that's come up on a national level is the idea of like school vouchers or the money following the student. And I, I've been told that those are different. Um, so, you know, those are kind of two different ideas, but kind of along the same lines where, you know, you could maybe allow kids to go to, to choose to be part of a school where that might be a better fit for them, depending on what that school is able to provide or those kinds of things. Um, and that may or may not be a public school. It, it, it may be another public school, you know what I mean? Or it might be private or charter or home or whatever. There's all those varieties. So just curious to hear what your perspective is on that. Cause it's something that's come up a lot this year. Sure. Um, in general, I believe that public schools are, um, 
doing the, let me speak for Virginia Beach. I think Virginia Beach Public Schools are definitely doing the best they can with the funding that they are provided. Mm. I would be hesitant um, to support anything that would pull funding from the, the school system uh, as it is. Uh, I understand that, uh, like I was saying, parents need to look at what's individually going to work best for their student based on what their student needs and what they're able to provide. And I think now is the time for districts, including Virginia Beach, to really look at how we are being flexible to make sure that parents have options within our district to provide, to get what their student needs. Hmm. I think that Virginia Beach does a, a better job than other districts in um, providing options. If you look at our um, high school options, where uh, when I started, uh, when I was in high school here, it's pretty much wherever you live, that's the, the school that you're zoned for, that's where you're gonna attend. Mm -hmm. I was excited to attend Ocean Lakes because it was brand new back then. And um, I didn't wanna go to a school that wasn't brand new if I had that option. Right. Now we have in our city that students can apply to academies or different programs in schools all across the city. And so they're not um, limited to just where you live is the school that you're going to have to go to. There, mm. there are a lot of options for um, students to, to be in different schools, which is um, an amazing benefit. It's also one of our bigger challenges in our district. We are more complicated than most districts in the state. We are at a high complication level compared to districts nationally um, when it comes to now that we've provided all these choices and these programs, um, getting our students from different places across the city to the school mm. that they have um, been accepted to in the different programs um, when we have more limited busing with the COVID and the spacing. Um, it's not just you live near this school and we're going to have the busing and spacing it out. We have students who live on one end of the city who mm. are program on the other end of the city um, and used to be able to go to their home school and then have a different bus that picks them up and brings them across. It's a different challenge for parents who um, are electing to transport their child back and forth to school to help um, eliminate the exposure on the bus and limit those numbers. Um, and it's a different challenge for our busing for parents who can't transport. Um, so I guess kind of went off a little bit, but overall, okay. I think making sure that we have those options so that parents can choose virtual learning for their student if that's what fits best within the district. And if they can choose uh, the face-to-face -face option, they can choose an academy program. Um, they can choose what fits their child's needs within our district. And um, I would like to see more funding for education overall. I certainly am not opposed to parents making the choice that works best for them. And if a private school is the best setting for their child's needs and for what their family can provide, I would like to see more money be allotted for that. Mm. I would not like to see money pulled from the public schools to have that happen. And so I, I think, um, yeah, I, I would certainly support that funding uh, to not have to be to the detriment of the, the teachers and the students who remain in our public school system. Right. That's an interesting way to look at it. I haven't heard exactly that uh, thought process, but I can see where you're coming from there. It makes a lot of sense. I know one big topic of conversation this year is the valedictorian salutatorian awards. And I know that ties into a lot of the complexity that you mentioned, how I've heard that part of the reasoning behind choosing to move away from that had to do with how heavily weighted uh, the GPAs are from the academies and and some of those situations. So can you tell me, you know, briefly, I, I know you would get into it quite a bit on your website um, and I know people can read about it there, but I'd love to just hear your thoughts on, you know, why uh, you supported the decision to not have those awards and to go towards the honor system and, and the Latin honor system and, and what your thought is about that. Okay. Um, I guess it's important to uh, differentiate that I do support uh, moving towards that uh, Latin honor system. Uh, I was not on the board when the decision was made. So right. that was just prior to my time. Um, however, if I would have been on the board, I, I feel like I would have uh, leaned that way as well. Uh, one of the, the concerns for me is making sure that we are not discouraging students from um, taking courses that make them more rounded, uh, better rounded, people ready for uh, 
ready for the world, that students who have an AP course load are not discouraged from taking a, a tech ed class or a, you know, a regular a business elective, a band elective, because uh, if they're making straight A's in their weighted AP courses, even if they're not in a, a special magnet program, then uh, taking a, a course that doesn't have that weighting um, has the possibility of bringing their GPA down, even if they get an A in that course. And so it- That's so crazy. It doesn't make sense. It, it discourages right. them from taking the band course that they might wanna take or the drama course that they wanna take if they are so worried about keeping their GPA at that highest point so that they can uh, get that distinction. I think overall, um, when we talk about preparing for college, um, most colleges are doing a, a honor Latin honor system as well uh, with their GPAs at graduation. I don't think it's so far out of the, the, the realm of norm. Um, I want students to to want to come to school, to want to make good grades, but also to feel like, yes, I can take a drama course and not have that throw me out of the running, or I can take this band mm -hmm. course or try try a different skill in tech ed and, and still, um, still be honored uh, with the awards because I, I worked hard and I got the A anyway. And so mm -hmm. I, I think that that's, um, the weighted system is, is tough and there may be other ways that we can adjust weighting some other kind of, uh, I don't know, some other kind of way to adjust the weight on those other courses. But this seemed like, from what I have read and seen, the easiest across the board way to um, still honor all the students who earn the grades to be honored um, and not discourage them from taking courses that help them to be more rounded and get different experiences. Well, thank you for clarifying that. And my apologies if I misrepresented that. I know certain people in this particular race are specifically running on overturning that yes. and trying to say, hey, we should, I guess it's not really reinstate because they're not technically gone, but continue acknowledging those awards mm -hmm. going forward. And some people are kind of intentionally saying, no, this was a good decision. And I know you're on yes. the side of supporting the decision. So uh, it's a, it is a really interesting one. I actually had not read that any or heard anyone mention the part about you know some of those more arts or humanities type courses uh, being things that could reduce those gpas which i could see being a, a a real challenge or detractor there so that's an interesting way to think about it and again i guess a good problem with having so many options or such well, a such a complex system is you got to come up with creative ways to help students get what they need i know there's quite a few the academies, workforces, some other things, or workforces, work, um, just like training programs, workforce is not the word I was looking for, but like workforce prep sort of um, options that are in anything from, um, you know, like HVAC and uh, cosmetology. And there's like all kinds of different things that students yep. can take. I've been really amazed at how many options there are. Uh, do you think that are there's enough options or opportunities in in that sense for students to believe especially students that maybe college isn't their best option so you have this great you know system set up for the students that are at the top of the class and you know running towards being a doctor or a lawyer or something mm -hmm. awesome but uh for the students that maybe aren't college bound do you feel like we have enough options for them or do you think we need to expand on that i think that there's always room for expansion i think Huh. Right now in the, the COVID world that we're in, right. thinking of expansion is is tough and we're not quite there yet. But I do think that there's always room for expansion. But uh, prior to expansion, I think that there's room for uh, better, public, better publicity, better getting it out to the students and the families earlier um, about the other programs that we have and uh, better marketing, if you will. Uh, from our, our, in our schools, with our teachers, with our mm. counselors, um, to make it marketed equally. Make, as hard as we're pushing for college, have these other programs be equally represented as good options and not the alternative option. Here's the main right. option. Well, you can do the alternative school. You can do the alternative thing. Present them all as um, equitable, across the board, good options to be considered so that, um, Students can can consider it and not feel like that's a oh if you can't do well in here 
here's what you can do. Mm -hmm. There's something that you can aspire to. You can aspire to cosmetology. You can aspire to mechanics. You can aspire to the, the computer certifications. We, um, we have a pharmacy tech program certification that we just got a new textbook for. I don't even, um, I'm amazed when I see things and that I didn't know about that we have. And so I think awesome. making sure that we have it out there for, for students is important. Um, and doing some additional partnering. Uh, uh, the shipyard is doing partnerships now with uh, public schools in different cities. And I'm not positive that we have, um, have our partnership all the way worked through yet, but they're mm. bringing juniors and seniors in to do uh, summer internship work where they're able to get that hands-on experience. And I think we can expand on uh, doing more of that in our district to really get those summer internships or even school year internships uh, going. And it helps kind of give students the chance to experience, maybe they like it, maybe they don't. And they're able to say, oh, I tried that and that was not for me. But we might be able to create the connections uh, to keep students in our city, to have mm -hmm. networking that keeps our talent local. So Absolutely. It's an interesting thing because I think I got to go, and I know we'll wrap up here in a second. Uh, I think a year, two years ago, maybe, I got to go to a talk that was on you know, education and workforce. And there were a lot of different people there from educators, people across the spectrum of K through 12, and some representing college, some consultants, uh, people in workforce development in the city, different things like that. It was really fascinating forum and conversation. And they talked about the challenges of brain drain, quote unquote, in Virginia Beach, where, you know, we have a lot of people that grew up here, go away to go to college and don't come back or yep. get a great education here. And we have, you know, some great colleges here and then leave, you know, for jobs. And so trying to figure out how do you build those connections in. And one thing that came up there is exactly what you just said, that these um, programs are very poorly marketed. And they're really, I think I definitely experienced this, you know, coming up through school that the um because the push for college was so big i think over the last 20 years or so mm -hmm. people i think to in order to encourage people to go to college really downplayed significantly mm -hmm. some of those other roles to the point that i think some kids can feel even like shamed around yep. going to some of those alternative mm -hmm. things and i tell you what i have friends that are in you know apprenticing to be master electricians that are before they're even done making way more money than my friends that have master's degrees and a hundred thousand dollars of student loans, you know, yeah. and, and they don't have any loans. They are, have a great career that they're going to be able to do forever that they love and they thrive in and it's moving their life forward. And uh, so I think those kinds of things, I actually went to a hospital based radiology program for two years. Oh, wow. That was partially paid for by a city workforce grant. Mm -hmm. And I remember people telling me, you know, like, oh, so you're just going to be like a button pusher. And I was like, well, I just had to take, you know, six semesters of anatomy and physiology and four semesters of physics. And, you know, mm -hmm. I can tell you every single reaction, chemical and physical that happens all the way through this machine and through your body, you know, and like the complexity of these jobs is really under focused mm -hmm. on, you know, and so I think we can have a much more holistic set of options. But the way you're explaining, I thought was great. Presenting them as equitable options really does mm -hmm. change the landscape for students. I read that there a year or two ago, there was something like 80,000 available jobs or they were projecting within the next couple of years in the state of Washington because they have so much development and they have so few people going into the trades that they just have a massive workforce shortage and they anticipate uh, because so few people are going to the trades that the people going in now could potentially be charging like 10 times the amount they're charging right now because there'd just be so few of them. So it's going to be interesting to see the way society and culture evolve around some of those things. Um, I know we're, we're right at the end of our time. So what's one thing that you would like people to keep in mind about you as they're getting ready to go vote this year? Um, I think when, when people look at the school board in Virginia Beach and start doing their research and Googling, what often comes up is a whole lot of drama. Right now, Virginia Beach, I don't know, school board seems to, to to look dramatic. And a lot of times it is dramatic. And I think... Ending up in the paper in the last few weeks. Yep. I think it's, uh, it's important to 
kind of look at uh, look at what people are bringing to the table uh, in terms of their perspective and ideas, but also in terms of their ability to work together and uh, to bring a, a unity or at least an understanding and respect uh, across the table. And I think that's something that uh, that I strive to do uh, is to hear everybody out, uh, right. to embrace and uh, try and understand different ideas, even if it's not something that uh, you're going to 100% agree with. It's important to understand why somebody else's Mm -hmm. that perspective and how your idea can help adapt and encompass what need they are expressing. And I think that's important to be able to see uh, expressed at a board level. Um, I believe in parallel processes. If, if it's not happening at the board level, but we expect our principals to uh, treat mm -hmm. their the teachers and staff that way. Um, and then we expect the teachers to treat the students and staff that way, then I think it's important that we hold ourselves to the same standard that we expect from from those that we are providing oversight for. And whether that's um, us using masks, whether that's if we need to keep our cameras on during our meetings because there's going to be an ex expectation that students do that, whether mm. it's an expectation of how we speak to each other and the level of respect and professionalism we bring. Um, I think that people have the option to decide um, what kind of leadership they want to see uh, at the school board level and above, and um, that they we are we are accountable to the voters, and voters can decide um, what level of of cooperation they would like to see to get things done. So, I hope that they'll consider me with that. Well, thank you so much. If you want to learn more about Jessica Owens, you can check out her website, Jessica Owens vbschoolboard.com Jessica Owens VB is in Virginia Beach schoolboard.com and she's on social media and other places so you can check out much more of her um, thoughts on different topics I know we didn't touch on everything and you have quite a bit of information on your website so I definitely encourage people to check that out uh, just a reminder you can listen to Smart Citizen anywhere you listen to podcasts now or on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you don't have time to watch the videos but you want to hear the full conversation please check that out and while you're at it follow Smart Citizen on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter at Smart Citizen USA and be sure to leave any questions for Jessica in the comments and I'll be sure that they get over to her so that she can uh, address those directly with you guys. Jessica, thanks to you so much for being on with me tonight. Really enjoyed the conversation. Have a great night and, and we'll talk soon. Great, you too. Thank you for having me. Thank you.